0: all right everybody welcome back to things you're not supposed to talk about with louis g baby you know who that is that's right that's me i'm back again got another podcast been working on podcasts writing podcasts so here's what i've been doing right i've been writing podcasts so that i can do podcasts but I got these podcasts written, and I haven't done podcasts because, you know, right? There's a whole thing going on here. Okay, so anyway, today's podcast is, it's time to talk, you know, EVs, right? Electric vehicles. We're going to have to talk about this. You know, I've talked about it a little bit before and mentioned it in some other podcasts. Um, But uh, we're going to talk about EVs today. And and, and here's the thing, right? I, I think EVs are cool. Like, I like the gadgetry and the quietness. I like zero emissions and I like the fact that it has minimal moving parts compared to, you know, the intricacies of a combustible engine, right? I like that folks buy them. I have considered buying one. And once I consider buying anything like that, right, you know what I do? I tend to get a little deep into the product and its nuances, like uh, whether it's practical. I never had to consider whether a car was practical or not. I just had to consider if it was practical for my needs based on what type of vehicle it was, right? So I've never had to say, a car, is that practical for me or is it not? Like, when I lived in New York City, no, right, car, not practical. Still owned one. Okay. Right? Uh, when I lived um, in Pennsylvania, right, car, car, practical, needed one. Okay? And now that I live in Maine, right, you definitely need a truck. So, right, it's never about, do I need a car? Do I need a car? Right. But now it's about, what kind of car do I need? Not not about what kind of car do I need in a gas engine, But is it it an EV? Is it a gas? What am I doing here, right? So everybody's got to do their research, you know? So I do my research. And guess what I would never do after my research? I would never buy a muscle car and drive around the streets of Brooklyn, you know, right? Although plenty of people do that. I wouldn't. Have you driven in Brooklyn? I I haven't driven in Brooklyn in 15 years, and I can imagine it's only gotten worse, okay? So likewise, I would never buy a muscle car if I was a farmer. Although, right, there are plenty of muscle cars under covers in barns all over America, Now, why would I buy an EV in either of those places? I could drive my muscle car for 350 miles in Brooklyn before fueling up, and I can fuel up in five minutes and do another 350 bone-bouncing miles, right? I can do that. Can I do that with my EV? I had to ask myself that question. I can drive 420 miles in my muscle car on a combination of highways and flat country across middle America, right? I can do that. But can I do that with my EV? I I can play my radio loud with the AC on, heat on, while opening and closing the windows, doing 70 miles an hour for over 350 miles in my muscle car. Can I do that in my EV, right? If I was a poor black family living in the Jamaica projects of Queens, and I wanted to own a muscle car, could I? Yeah, I could, right? It happens all the time. I see them there every day, all right? Could I do that with an EV? Well... If I wanted to recycle my old gas muscle car for parts and scrap the metal and build another vehicle from another from other vehicles and make it go by putting fuel in it, could I do that? Right? I mean, could, could, could I build a car, take my old muscle car, scrap it, then take other cars that were scrapped, take their parts, build a gas vehicle, an engine, put fuel in it, and make it go? Could I do that? Yeah. Yep, I could do that. Happens every day in garages all across America in cities and rural towns, right? could I do that with my EV? So I have some real questions. And if you bought an EV, then I hope the world is your oyster, right? But if you're considering buying an EV or are an advocate for the environmentally safe emissionless advantages, then this is a podcast for you. How about we start answering some of those questions? And you know what? I ask questions. And when I ask questions, I do research. And when I do research, um, right, I get a little focused. So how far can the average EV travel on a single charge? This is the first question you must ask yourself. Because you, you ask yourself, what, what's the gas mileage on that car? So if you want to know the gas mileage on your car that you're buying, then you want to know how far can I travel on a single charge. Now, those words aren't coming out of your mouth as easily as what's the gas mileage on this car. right? What's the gas mileage on this car? How far can I, an, EV, an average EV, travel on a single charge? Right? You can barely get the words out. It's tricky. So there's no significant like average range For electric vehicles since it can vary depending on the specific EV EV model. However, here are some general guidelines for approximate range of EVs on a single full charge. So my bullet points include small EVs or subcompact cars. They can go 70 to 100 miles of range and that's typical for a small EV like the Nissan Leaf and Chevy Bolt. Well, if you live in Maine, do you want To travel only 70 to 100 miles on a single charge and then have to recharge because you've got to go 60 miles back and forth every day to work. That's filling up your car every day. Okay. Uh, How about a midsize uh, EV, right? Most midsize EVs can travel 100 to 250 miles on a single charge and the popular models like the Tesla Model 3 Long Range and the Hyundai Kona Electric fall within this range. So 100 to 250 miles. The larger EVs tend to have longer ranges due to their bigger battery packs. Popular long-range EVs like the Tesla Model S and Model X can travel 250 to 350 miles per charge. Now we're talking, right? Now we're talking. Okay, so this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that. I guess I'm looking for that Model S, that Tesla Model S or that Model X, right? And it, I, I want to do the 350, okay? SUV crossovers. Now, most electric SUVs and crossovers currently provide a range of 150 to 300 miles on a charge, depending on the size of the battery. Examples are the Ford Mustang Mach E and Volkswagen ID4. All right. They can do 150 to 300 miles. Okay. Factors that affect the range, though, are driving style, speed, use of climate controls, weather conditions, and others can all impact the actual usable range, right? So the EPA estimates estimates are usually higher than real-world driving experiences. So the average estimated range for EVs on a single-full charge seems to range from 150 to 250 miles currently, but it wildly widely varies between models. Like larger, more premium EVs tend to offer the longest electric ranges. So now that we understand that you can drive 150 to 250 miles on average in your electric vehicle while doing 70 with the air conditioner on and opening and closing the windows, right? 100 to 250 miles, 150 to 250 miles. So, you know, now you've got to ask yourself if I can do crazy stuff. I could drive my 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 Mustang, right? Well, you know, I don't have a Mustang. I wouldn't own a Mustang to tell you the truth, right? But I can drive my muscle car um, 70 miles an hour I can drive my car 70 miles an hour, my car, I can drive 70 miles an hour on the highway and get 26 miles per gallon on an 18-gallon tank, so I'm doing 450 miles, it's per- period. I'm doing 450 miles in my car, and it takes high-test gas, right? I, I said high-test, didn't I? That's terrible. Don't ever do that again. I, I, I'm gonna, I'll never do that again, I promise. <laughs> high-test, all right, that, that's it. I should stop the podcast right now, but I'm going to keep going. What are some factors that can significantly reduce the range of an EV? Well, let's take a look at that because it's weird, right? I want to know. It, the cold weather. That's not affecting my car. I promise. I'm driving my car. If it is affecting my gas engine, it takes a couple of seconds to warm it up, and then we're ready to go because the oil is going through the engine, right? So heating the cabin uses a lot of battery power in cold temperatures, potentially cutting the range by 40% in very cold conditions. So if you live in Maine, and you have a, I don't know, one of them long-range Teslas, right, the Model X, then you put the heat on, you're not doing 350 miles anymore, you know, you're doing 175, okay? So, high speeds, driving 70 miles an hour plus, rather than 60 miles per hour, uses much more energy, range drops substantially at faster cruising speeds. So, if you're cruising at 70 miles an hour, you're losing power. If I'm cruising at 70 miles an hour, I'm gaining gas mileage. That's if I'm driving in town, it's 22, 18 to 22. That's it, usually 22, all right? In hot weather, the air conditioning also places additional load on the battery pack, reducing the range from about 10 to 20% on very hot days, all right? So you got accessories, things like headlights, windshield wipers, seat heaters, infotainment, and all they all consume battery power when in use. So another 10 to 20%, okay? Um, how about aggressive driving, right? Right, Americans are aggressive drivers. We love our cars. We love our roads. Uh, well, I don't know if we love our roads. They're kind of shitty right now, but we love our cars. <laughs> and we like driving our cars fast, especially if they're fast cars. Happens all the time. Uh, and frequent hard acceleration and braking is less efficient than, than coasting, and it can lower the range by 25% or more in city driving. Uh, You got towing or hauling for all you truck guys, right? All you truck guys want to take your family on vacation? Carrying extra weight like luggage or a small trailer requires more battery energy, to propel the uh machine uh fast charging how about that how about, uh, listen we got fast chargers man we can do the fast charging stuff so high power dc fast charging causes temper uh, causes temporary capacity loss in the battery pack so now now you're not doing the 250 miles if you fast charge you're doing way less so you got to stop more frequently pay more money fast charging costs more money okay whatever uh, older battery age. Over time, batteries lose capacity and range degrades about 5% annually for older EVs. So after your 7 years, 7 to 8, 7 to 10 years, you're losing 5% battery power every year. In 5 years, you're buying a new car. and Or you're buying new batteries that cost you thousands and thousands upon thousands of dollars. All right. Terrain, right? Even driving in different types of terrain, steep hills, mountainous routes use a f- significantly more battery energy than flat highways. Significantly more. Uh, Battery chemistry, lithium-ion batteries with higher energy density provide longer ranges. Generally, lead-acid batteries have much less capacity, so now you have to worry about the kind of battery that you buy. Uh, Battery size, bigger battery packs allow for more total kilowatt of energy storage, translating to increased driving range potential. But what if you can't put a bigger battery pack in your car? What if you can only have one size battery? All right, I'm just saying. What happens when the batteries die? Do you have to just junk the whole car and buy a new one? Or do you can you trade it in without the batteries because the body is still good and all they gotta do is put batteries in it? I mean, I don't understand what the trade value is on an electric vehicle anymore if it can't move. All right. Well how about tire pressure? This is important too. It's important in your gas car as well. So underinflated tires cause more rolling resistance, draining range faster than properly for inflated tires. Cargo weight, any additional weight carried reduces range due to increased energy needed for acceleration and climbing hills. How about roof racks and boxes? Extra wind drag from roof-mounted carriers decreases aerodynamic efficiency and thus range. Driver-assistant technology, features like traffic-aware, cruise control, allow for smoother, more efficient driving compared to manual control. However, right, they use more energy. Uh, and like I said before, you got that fast charging frequency, frequent high power charging reduces maximum battery capacity over time, diminishing rated and real world range and battery state of health range is maximi- maximized with a new battery, but degrades gradually through normal cycle life and usage over, you know, what a few years. So now I keep asking more questions like what is the average mileage get range of gas vehicle? And in compact cars, it's three to four hundred miles on eighteen gallons. In mid-sized cars, it's three to five hundred miles on fifteen to twenty-two gallons. On trucks and SUVs, it's four hundred to six hundred miles with a bigger gas tank. And on hybrid and gas on hybrid cars, which are gas electric hybrids, they can increase fuel efficiency by twenty-five to sixty percent. So that's over five hundred miles with a full gas battery and pack and, and, and fill tank. I mean, come on, yeah, right? We're winning here with this hybrid thing. Factors affecting range, aggressive driving, cargo passenger load, hilly terrain, and use of air conditioning can reduce gas mileage and trim 50 to 100 miles off the estimated range. I looked that up, right? I looked that up in a lot of places. That 50 to 100 miles I put in there because I want to be fair with the EV thing, but I'm telling you it's more like 25 to 50 miles. So I, I just want to be fair. I just want to have some parity here, okay? I, I'm willing to to take the hit on the gas. Uh, you got full size, full tank size. Bigger tanks allow for longer continuous distances before refueling. They range from 10 to 30 plus gallons depending on the vehicle class. You got different types of fuel types, different types of transmissions, tire pressure, weight, aerodynamics, temperature, driving habits, and maintenance like dirty air filters, low engine oil levels, one brake impact efficiency over time if not properly maintained. That's all, right? Gas vehicles, electric vehicles, much in the same way, But, but, gas vehicles, combustion engines do not use as much battery power as an electric car because the battery is being recharged by the generator. You know, that's not going on in an electric car most of the time. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to do all of that recharging. Okay. So, you know, like what's more prevalent for auto users, gas stations or electric charging stations? You know the answer to this. It's a silly question. Gas stations are currently much more prevalent than electric vehicle charging stations for auto users in North America and globally. There's over 100,000 gas stations across the United States. Most Americans live within five miles of a gas station and many within one mile. You know, charging stations as of 2022, there's around 45,000 public EV charging stations. Notice what I said here. There's 100,000 gas stations and there are 45,000 EV charging stations. That's not an EV gas station, right? No, no, no. Let, 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 hold on a second. You want to count EV stations. They're counting the EV stations that are in a parking lot. That's not an EV station. There's a gas station. You don't see gas stations in the middle of the AMP parking lot or the Wallbaum's parking lot or the Big Lots parking lot. You don't, that's not happening. Okay? But there are EV stations there. No gas stations, but EV stations. Let me tell you something. Those aren't gas stations, okay? Those aren't EV stations. Those are places that EV modules are put to charge your car while you're, while you're in the store. And half of them are broken. All right? So uh, most charging, uh, public charging is level two hours of charge. Level two. That's hours of charge. But DC fast charging helps. That's only an hour and a half, okay? So there's 270 million gas-powered vehicles in the United States. Versus only one million EVs. And we're already having a problem finding battery stuff. So, you know, how are we going to power an entire nation on electric vehicles? I I don't I don't know. So who sets the cost of the electricity for the charging stations? Because you know who sets the cost for gas. It's universal, it's everywhere. Okay. Some gas stations charge a little bit more, but in order to stay competitive with their gas, they've got to be like the other people. Some people start charge a little bit less. It's not like an EV station. Utility owns many public charging stations, especially level two, are owned by the local electric utilities. In these cases, the utility sets the electricity cost, which is usually close to the standard home residential power rate. No, it's not. All right. Private networks. Companies like ChargePoint, Evgo, and Tesla own large public fast charging networks. They have more flexibility to set commercial electricity pricing, which is going to be higher than standard utility rates. Rates vary by location, time of day, and membership status. Retail, lo- membership status. You, what? I don't have to join my, I don't have to join a gas station. Some some gas stations have cards where you get like, you know, 10 cents off a, a, off a gallon. That's great. I don't know what the purpose is, but nice. It's, it's wonderful. You got retail locations like, like stations at shops, hotels, etc. often bundled into locations, existing commercial electric accounts. Pricing may be set jointly by the businesses and their local electric provider. So I'm telling you that gas stations that install EV chargers pricing models are evolving, but gas station brands may set their own rates based on operational costs at each station. Folks, this is price gouging at its simplest form. That's all it is. Electric cars, electric vehicles are price gouging uh, and electric charging stations are price gouging your vehicle, period. Okay. Utilities provide the underlying power. Station owners and operators typically establish the specific electricity price and charging fees seen by drivers depending on location, the time of use and the business model. Retail competition also plays a role, but not in gas. In gas, you don't have that problem. You have demographic issues like each state, how much it costs for the drivers to get there, okay, because they're not closer to the coast. And some some gas stations charge more because they're right there on the uh, on the highway. Yeah, that's a fact. That's going to happen. But your EV charging stations will charge more than the gas will at that gas station. So, you know, get ready to get ready, right? How much does it cost to install a charging station at your home? Oh, well, are you going to be a big shot? All right, that's going to be a big shot. Um, you know uh let's be a big shot and um we're going to uh install ethel 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 we're going to install an ev charging station at the house so that we can just charge up at home okay ethel you hear me all right honey I, I know we're just gonna do it all right well here's what the cost is here's what the cost is folks basic two, basic 240 volt outlet a simple installation involving an electrician running a 240 volt outlet to your garage can cost anywhere from 200 to 500 dollars uh, this charges three to six miles per hour of charging. <laughs> uh, what? In one day, you're doing six miles of charging times twenty four hours, right? Six times 24. Uh, that's about one hundred and forty miles of charging. You can go if your car can do three hundred and fifty miles on a charge. And you have a standard 240-volt outlet. You're not doing any more than 150 miles of charging in 24 hours. What the hell? That's not good. Take two days to charge your car. All right. Two days. Hardwired charger. Having an electrician install a hardwired level 2 home charger. Starts anywhere from five dollars to $1,000. And provides 25 miles per hour depending on the charger, about 15 to 25 miles per hour. So let's say it provides 20 miles per hour per charge and you need to go 350 miles in 24-hour period. It's going to take you 24 hours to charge your car. Like you can go to work the next day, but you got to come home and charge your car again. And it'll take three days to get to the 350 miles because you're charging your car, like driving every day, 30 miles to work back and forth. All right. Uh, uh, how about a standalone charging station. 240 volt charging station installed professionally is 500 to $2,000 depending on the unit, the cables, the installation details. That's 25 plus miles per hour charging. Doesn't tell you what the plus is so I guess it's a variable number. I don't know why. Electrical panel upgrade, right? If your home's electrical panel needs an upgrade, and it will, it's to support higher power charging. Costs may range from 1000 to $3,000 extra depending on the work required. Uh, there are some incentives where you can get like uh, various utility and state rebate programs. They provide anywhere from 200 to a thousand back on installed home charging equipment. There's also additional costs include permitting, uh, permitting fees if required, trenching and conduit work. If running cables are outside extra for concrete and asphalt cutting, the total average cost is anywhere from a thousand to $3,000 nationwide, depending on specific home setup and charger needs. So if you are buying an EV, Tesla X and you're spending 45 000 to fifty thousand dollars on that car and you're also buying the home charger and spending another three thousand dollars on that you know it starts to get and then you're spending the electricity on your car every night to charge it for you know what I don't know a whole eight hours or ten hours that you're eight hours that you're in bed whatever I don't know I don't know how you're doing that right charging an EV can be significantly cheaper than paying 46 dollars for gas but paying four to six dollars you can guess isn't anybody's fault but the government's we've already seen that we've already produced that result so come on folks really now you can't tell me that it's more expensive to, to, to fuel up your two dollar fifty cent car you can't tell me that so we're not doing that right there's also other kinds of incentives right I mean what if you what if you're parking in the city what if you live in a city right you know let's take a look at that. I mean, why would anyone want an EV over a gas vehicle if the following is true? You get less gas mileage, less availability to fuel, more time to fuel, inoperability of the vehicle while charging, inability to commute for hours, high startup costs, and less years of ownerships. I mean, based on the additional content that I just provided, there's several disadvantages to owning an electric vehicle, right? So there's less refueling convenience due to slower public charging, constraints on uses and commutes while the EV is charging that don't exist with gas stops, higher upfront vehicle costs despite potential future operational savings, uncertainty about being able to charge easily during long long road trips in, in most areas. So for people who primarily need a car just for basic commuting and errands with an urban area's public fast charging network each day and can charge at work an EV, may not yet provide a clear overall advantage over a gas car, right? Well, you're sitting at work, you have to charge your vehicle. Is your work providing a charging station? No, it's not. Are they going to charge you if they do? Yeah, it's coming out of your check, right? The key benefits of lower fuel costs and less maintenance could take years to outweigh the current practical downsides. for, For urban drivers without home charging right now, a gas car may indeed offer more freedom and simplicity. So, like... What if you live in a city? What if what if you're living in an urban setting? I don't know. Maybe even a, the projects in a city and you have to have a car to go back and forth to work because the bus can't get the, get to you wh- when you need it to get there. You can't get public transportation where where you are in the city. Maybe you got to walk 3 miles just to get there. Maybe you got to walk several blocks to get there and you can't. You have to use a car. What do you do? I mean who is an EV the best choice for? If you weigh the pros and cons, homeowners who could install level two charging, commuters with workplace charging, low-mile drivers, those receiving EV purchase incentives like tax credits, uh, people who are environmentally conscious—I don't know if being environmentally conscious has outweighed all of the things I just said, but uh, maybe it does. Multi-vehicle households, right? Uh, yeah. Hybrid and works get hybrid work schedules, sure. Those interested in the newest tech- technological features? You know, while gas cars clearly have advantages for some buyers, EVs are likely the best practical choice for drivers who can reliably charge at home or work on a regular basis. So over time, ownership costs should favor EV more broadly as well. But guess what, folks? What demographic did I just describe the most across America? I described wealthier households. Those able to, able to more easily afford the higher upfront EV cost and home charging installation, and it tends to be wealthier families. EVs saw the biggest sale boost among households making over $100,000. Is that people in the projects? No, no, it's not. Right? Coastal metropolitan areas like San Francisco and Los Angeles, like Boston and New York, have denser charging infrastructures and demographic where commuters can more likely uh, tend to live in their apartments and homes where charging is viable. Right? Younger buyers, dual vehicle families higher education areas. So in general, more affluent coastal city and and suburban dwellers, especially younger dual income households and dual vehicle families currently represent the biggest segment of EV amenable drivers in America due to conducive living and charging stations. Over time, EVs will reach a broader audience, right? I'm sure they will, but in general, What's the racial demographic that we just described? Because the demographic groups I just described as being best suited for electrical vehicle ownership currently due to reliable home workplace charging access, wealthier coastal urban suburban professionals, dual income families, younger buyers correlates closely with white Caucasian car buyers in the United States. Okay? So what's more abundant, right? Crude oil in the ground to make gasoline, or the elements in the ground for batteries for EV use. All right, we got to figure this out, folks. Because here's the deal: I just described EVs as being made for white people. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. Okay, gas is way more abundant and way way more way more readily available. Why would you Why would you jam up everybody with stuff you can't get to? You've got to dig a hole so deep and so wide and so big to get those minerals to make those batteries that you de- literally destroy the face of the earth. You can see them from space. Okay. Y- you can't see the holes that we make for crude oil from space. You can't see them at all. You don't even know where they are. All right. So th- that's true. So, I, you know, we talked about a lot of things with this EV stuff and based on everything we talked about, um, you know, why are federal government and federal agencies all would push for EV over gas when, when none of the infrastructure is available, when it's, when it's literally racially biased, it, it allows for a wide range of electrical pricing by individual vendors instead of a utility rate such as gasoline, inhibits the travel of all Americans to under 250 miles, and destroys a high tax revenue industry such as gas and oil? I mean... Insufficient EV charging infrastructure today disadvantages many drivers and restricts travel, especially in rural areas. Forcing a transition prematurely is misguided without universal access. Lack of equitable access to home charging disproportionately impacts lower income and minority communities who depend more on public infrastructure. Allowing individual charging networks to freely set pricing versus standardized utility rates risks gouging some customers' demographics okay, drastically reducing oil gas industries without ensuring an equitable transition, risk job losses and declining tax revenues that fund important public services. Range limitations of under 250 miles for many EVs imposes real-world constraints not faced with gasoline vehicles at this point. Given these considerations, a reasonable perspective is that government agencies should avoid overtly pushing any single technology, but rather Incentive m- incentivize multiple solutions including hybrids, plug-in hybrids, fuel cells, and improved ICEs along EV batteries. Make equitable access and universal infrastructure top policy priorities before enterprise-wide mandates. Protect consumers and workers through a just transition that creates new jobs and does not disproportionately advantage, disadvantage, excuse me, Any group, a balanced, data-driven, and inclusive approach respects the advantages of all opinions today while still enabling innovation, forcing a winner too early, risks negative, unintended consequences. As the auto industry ramps up electric vehicle production to meet government mandates and consumer demand, many many wonder if EVs are truly the best option available. While proponents tout lower operating costs and environmental benefits, skeptics point to insufficient charging infrastructure and other limitations that electrics cannot overcome in the near term. After examining the nuanced issues, it seems neither side has the full picture. Electric vehicles offer reduced emissions and potentially lower fuel bills for drivers able to charge consistently at home or work, but mandating EVs before public fast charging reaches small towns and rural areas risks leaving many stranded without viable transportation options, and higher EV purchase prices disproportionately impact lower-income households without home chargers. Recycling requirements could help address battery supply concerns over the long haul, yet geological realities dictate certain raw materials will remain scarce internationally regardless of technology. And while carbon emissions from tailpipes are real, Oil and gas currently provide jobs that cannot swiftly be replaced without forcing economic shockwaves. Rather than rushing a winner, policymakers would would do well to respond to these realities with an inclusive, balanced strategy. Continued investments in both conventional and alternative fuels can satisfy diverse needs today while fostering innovation. Protecting vulnerable groups through just workforce transitions deserves priority over directives that arbitrarily eliminate established industries or viable vehicles prematurely. All right? So, with open dialogue and prudent safeguards for consumers and the planet alike, synergy between electricity, biofuels, and optimized petrol power may ultimately carry transportation further than a war of attrition between competing technologies can achieve separately in the near term. You know what, folks? Cooperation, not coercion, okay? Cooperation, not coercion. That holds the greatest promise for sustainability and accessible to all. I want to thank you for being here with me on Things You're Not Supposed to Talk About with Louis G. Have a great day.